the volume. Hey guys, it's the sessions presented by FanDuel. It might be cold, but the sports calendar is heating up, baby, and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and so, so easy to use. FanDuel always has exclusive offers, boosts, and more. And when you win, you're gonna get paid real fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like with the spread, money line, over, under, team totals, player props, and so much more. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And you can combine multiple bets from the same game in a same game parlay to try out the same game parlay plus. Get in on that. And... FanDuel is now live in Maryland, y'all. So use the promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E, and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the sessions. How's it going? What's up? Hope everybody is doing great. Um, got a cool episode here for you guys. Non-wrestling to a degree, even though he's a big wrestling fan. Brian Quinn Q from the Impractical Jokers is joining me. Um, just a really cool conversation with an awesome dude that just is like, God, remains so freaking humble after having such a hugely successful show for like 12 years on the air. Really, really cool stuff. Um, yeah, we obviously talk Impractical Joker stuff. We talk um, the fire department, wrestling, all of the different things that make Brian Quinn, Brian Quinn, with a little bit of love to Jennifer Coolidge because she deserves it all. Um, look, I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Let's just get into it, guys. This is Brian Quinn. Normally agree to do podcasts when you're shmammer drunk at a wrestling show, or is this an exception? I never agree to do podcasts ever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, so no, I was excited. Even when I got sober the next day, I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to do it. To be fair, you hold your liquor quite well because I honestly would not have known that you were drunk. So, hey, hats off to you. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. A I, it seasoned was, pro. Yeah, it was, I don't drink much at all anymore. So that was like four beers, and I was like, I was like <laughs> feeling like, whoa, like what's going on here, you know? And you don't want to be that guy. It's not my show. Like I was backstage at your show. I don't want to be the guy walking around drunk. So I think I was a little sensitive to it, you know? No, that's when you're allowed to be. You didn't have to do anything. You got to just be there as a fan. So you're allowed to throw back the beers. I mean, that's that's the vibe, right? It is, but like, sure, if they were like, hey, get, here's a couple of tickets, go, you know, go in your seats and enjoy and have a beer or two. That's one thing. Yes, because then I'm part of the crowd and going crazy. But if I'm backstage where you guys are all working and I'm, you know, and, and I'm blundering around drunk, that's no good. So I was probably like being hard on myself. If you didn't even notice, that's great. 
No, I had no idea. Honestly, I would not have had a clue. But do you get like an emotional hangover after something like that? Especially if you don't drink a ton and then all of a sudden you're there, you are, you're in the midst. It's loud. It's fun. All these things are happening. Do you like the next day be like, oh my God, was that weird? Like, I feel like I do that a lot. I get like that anxiety of like, I said something dumb. Jeez, like, come on, get it together. Do you do that to yourself? Yeah, that pretty much defined my 20s, uh, that feeling. My, my buddy Chris calls it the shame cave. Like when you wake up the next day and you're in the shame cave, what did I do? It's never as bad as you think. I think most people are like slightly amused when people are drunk, but you know, I don't know. It's, it's a thing. You know, I, I, I worry about it. I feel like I got worse as it as I got older. When I was younger, I was like, it's fine. I was all we were all in the same boat. As you get older, though, I'm like, oh my God, people don't need to see that from me. I'm like swearing a ton. It's just it's aggressive. Anyways. I like what you just described. So that sounds fun to me. Uh, <laughs> we would get on just fine then. Well, Next time I'll, I'll partake buddies. with you. <laughs> um, did great. you have fun? You were there at Full Gear. Um, was that your first time being at an AEW show? I know I've seen you guys backstage at WWE before. No, that was probably my fourth or fifth. I flew to Vegas for the pay-per-view out there. It was there. Anytime they're in the area, uh, me and uh, Sal and I try and go for sure. Hell yeah. Good, good, good. Um, I saw that you posted about MJF. We don't really have to get into it, but <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's oh, fine. we can. I mean, we could talk about that piece of garbage anytime you want. <laughs> piece of shit oh my gosh okay let's talk about you um doing my research getting ready for this interview dude december 15th 2011 when you guys debuted on tv holy shit like honestly like for a tv show to be on that long for you guys to have the success that you've had with impractical jokers do you really get to sort of kind of look back on that and like just relish in what you guys have been able to accomplish. It's pretty crazy. It's not, it's not real. We're just starting to get some awareness of how, um, of how bananas it is because like, you know, you're in it when you're in it, you're in it. And, and that's it. And then the pandemic went down, you know, brought us all down for two years. And like, I don't know, there's this thing now where one, now we're shooting season 10, which is like, that's a big number. How many episodes do you guys do a season? Uh, we've been doing 20, we've been doing 26 episodes of four specials for yeah nine, nine years. That is a lot of cameras, a lot of love mics on you. That's a lot. It's a lot, but it's, you know, it's a fun job. It's not like it's difficult. Um, the thing now, which is weird because we live on, you know, I'm, I'm on Staten Island. I still live in, uh, you know, on Staten Island. I'm, I'm still here. We don't live in California. We're kind of removed a little bit from the industry in a, in a, in a weird way. So we never really have all the trappings that come with it. Like, I'm just home. I'm just, you know what I mean, where I am all the time. But there's this thing lately where it's like kids are coming up to me. I want to say kids. I mean, like people in their 20s like <laughs> are coming up to me and they're like, oh, my God. Like, I started watching the show like when I was in, like, in high school because we've been on 12 years now. So, you know, a kid that started when high school 14 is 26 now. And they're like, Damn. yeah, they're like, well, you got me through high school. You got me through college. We would sit in the dorm. Now I'm at work and I, you know, I'm, I'm working a job. I'm married with a family. And when I hear that, I'm, I start to be like, oh man, like, geez, I feel old. You're a staple in some people's lives. And like to be sort I guess like the way to look at it as well is like you've been welcomed into people's households. They have chosen to watch you guys for 12 years. Like, yeah, you really become a thread of like somebody's life to a degree. That's kind of bizarre. Yeah. 
And, and it's an honor. Like, I get it because there are things that do that for me. You know what I mean? There are shows that I go to when I'm just home. I'll throw on whatever. You know what I mean? And just turn it on. What are those things for you? What are your, like, go-to, feel good, you got to have it on? Got to have it on for me. Look, Golden Girls, it's going to be tough to top <laughs> Golden Girls. I love <laughs> Golden Girls. Uh, that'll be on, uh, like, what we do in the shadows. Um, Ash versus Evil Dead, I watch over and over again. Um, there's like just tons of shows, you know what I mean? Like I try and rewatch Batman the animated series every few years. God, my husband's really into that. Big into the Batman stuff. Oh, it's Batman. Yeah. Who's not into that, right? <laughs> you, I guess. <laughs> Listen, I think it's fine, but I think it is for like guys within that age range of what you're like 74. Yeah, yeah I'm 74. 74. He's 85. <laughs> well, born. <in> <laughs> no, I was born in 76. 76. 76. Yeah. 76. Yeah. Um, he's 85. So yeah, I guess like within that age range, if you guys are into like Batman and did you, you miss the Ninja Turtles bandwagon? No, I was all in on the okay. Ninja Turtles as a kid. Yeah, I was there. When the first movie came out, I had a poster of Donatello. No, it was Raphael in a trench coat and a thing on my wall. Yeah, I had that. I loved it, man. I've always been like that. So I've always gravitated towards like um, stuff like that. Like, I mean, look, I mean, you look around, it's like it's all comic book stuff and what I've always gravitated to. Yeah, I was like a geeky little kid, so. I mean, to the point of like having stuff on that you're just like, like the feel good stuff. Like for us, it's Frasier. We always have Frasier on. That's like the going to bed. You put on Frasier. I fall asleep to the Crane family literally every night for the past like at least seven years. Um, so anyways, to the, the, the theme of being a thread in somebody's life and you guys being on television for 12 years, what do you think it is to the longevity of what you guys are doing from like when you guys started that like initial pitch of what Impractical Jokers is going to be to what you guys have been able to build over the last decade plus? Well, I think that we got lucky with some factors. Well, what, first and foremost, I like to think it's a funny show. You know what I mean? So people like to laugh. So like, that's where people like right away, we don't, we don't challenge you. We don't want you to think, you know what I mean? We're not asking you to like do anything but sit back and laugh. And I think that that is something whoever's delivering that to you is going to be uh, welcome. And then especially like we, we just had this perfect storm of time and a thing because like, you know, I don't have to tell you what the world's been like the past six, seven years. You know what I mean? So I think that there was there was two things going on. One, in the entertainment industry, there was not a premium on shut off your mind and think like it was like everything had to be a message or, or something or something like that. So we squeaked in as one of the few shows that were kind of like, hey, do you could just shut your mind off and think. And I think that, that that helped us. I think people are like, oh man, I could just watch the show and like shut up and laugh. And they remind me of my friends or my cousin or my brothers and whatnot. And then the other thing too, it's like we were on True TV, which helped uh, because they didn't have anything else. Um, so they weren't going to cancel us because they didn't have anything else. So it's like- Thank God for that, right? Yeah. God, so many shows nowadays too. It's like, even if it's something that is great and you feel like it could have some really great substance, I feel like, you know, networks often have such a knee-jerk reaction to canceling things. Yeah. It's really awesome to be somewhere where they can let you grow and develop and figure out your voice, your tone, all that stuff. Because, I mean, shit, you look at something like even like Shit's Creek. That got yanked early on. And like to see the way that that show was able to grow and change. And now people are like so obsessed with a show like that. It's nice to be able to have a network backing to that degree. Yeah. And 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 to that to that end, too, it's like, we went through four different regime changes at True. Like the people who hired us were fired, then new people were brought in, and then they were fired, and then new people were brought in. 
there was some luck. He breaks like, you know, they would come in and like, all right, well, and now I'm in charge of this network. What's working in practical jokers? Okay, just renew them. Get them, get them off the thing. <laughs> Nobody yeah, wanted yeah. to be the people that came in and were like canceling practical jokers. It didn't make any financial sense for them. So we were able to kind of slip through the raindrops and like the show, because it's a reality show, um, they don't have to pay us to air it. It's not like, uh, like, like Frazier, they're paying him every time they air it. They don't have to do it. And like, that's a condition of signing a crappy contract when you're an unknown. But in a way, it's helped us too, because they, because you turn on True TV, it's Impractical Jokers. It's always on. And they can do that. And that, I think, bolstered our popularity because we're, when you're channel searching, it's always on. Yeah, you can't not know what Impractical Jokers is. So we got lucky in that way. So so we, we do get lucky breaks and we work hard. We work really hard. So I think that, you know, it's just a mixture of, What's worked for everybody, just the the right break at the right time and and the right people around you. So I have worked alongside my husband for many years, whether in WWE, now in AEW. What is uh, your takeaway from being able to work alongside your best friends since high school and to have this project, this family, this baby together, the ups and the downs that come with that? It's as good as it seems from the outside. We... Uh, are really lucky in that we get along really, really well. We we don't have like we're very considerate of each other. Like I love those guys, you know what I mean. And it's like not to say that every day has been like a a joy, you know what I mean. You have days where you're like, you know, we all go through. I mean, God, we've been doing it so long, and life changes and everything. But for the most part, it's just like those guys I genuinely love, and it was like so you want to be respectful, and I have faith in them and their talent. So if Murray says something's funny, even if I don't think it's like funny, I'm like, well, let's back this play because he's a funny guy. So it's just this really weird thing. We don't have problems. Like we don't have, there's no ego issues. There's no, there's no anything like that behind the scenes because we just genuinely get along. And I think that that is the biggest thing that has gotten it this far without any problems. I love it. I love going to work. I love, we have in jokes. I mean, I'm around them more than anybody else in my entire life. So yeah. If you don't like them, you're kind of you're kind of screwed. <laughs> the contract has been signed. You got to show your ass up to work anyway. So you might as well enjoy everyone that's there. Um, is there any kind of likening to being in like that boy band? And there's like the one guy that always like ends up wanting to break away and do their own thing and have that solo career. Has that ever been like kind of a thing that's ever been a blip for you guys? Not really. I mean, I think there's an interest. There's a higher interest now in doing stuff outside of Joker's than there ever has been before. But that's just as the nature of like, look, after 12 years, you even if you want to keep doing this, you want to do something different. You, you know what I mean? You have to. You know, Joe left the show, which was um, a surprise to me. I didn't see that one coming. Um, you know, but yeah, what so was the reaction when that happened? Like, if you want to get into that. It wasn't really anything like, it was just, I was just blown away because I didn't see it coming. And I was like, whoa, like that's, I didn't know you felt this way. You know what I mean? I, I didn't know that these things were going on with your family in a lot of ways. So it was, it was, but personally, again, like I love Joe and it's like, I talk to him all the time. So it's like, it didn't cause any problems. Like the show didn't get canceled. If the show had canceled and I lost my job, then there might've been some tough conversations to, to have, sure, you know what I mean? Sure, sure. Um, but since that wasn't the case, then it was more of an emotional toll than anything else. But the guy put in 10 years, like what, you know, how, how much more do you got to do? Um, so Sal loves stand-up. He always wanted to do stand-up. Uh, so he does a lot of stand-up now and Murray tours solo as well, but 
really for the most part, I, I, I like being collaborative, I think. So I don't really want to do much without them or other friends. I think also too, it's like I'm 46 and like I've had a TV show for 12 years. It's been a good show. I don't walk around being like, what else do I have to prove or do? Like, what? Sure. You know what it's like. At the end of the day, you just get home and you're like, oh man, I'm just happy to be on the couch and watching White Lotus. Dude. You know what I mean? Yes. By the way, we caught up on the last episode last night. What a great show. Oh, oh my what God. What a great show, man. Unbelievable Jennifer show. Jennifer Coolidge, the, the, the re-rise of a Jennifer Coolidge. Unbelievable. Oh, she She's is just so spectacular. Good. She's, she makes a line when she goes, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the new episode, but like when she goes to snort those that cocaine and like she even does this thing where like she doesn't get the straw on the line. It's like bumps around and it's the most subtle thing. But it's like, you know, she's doing it on purpose. And it's so funny. It's so funny. And I think most people won't even notice that, you know? No, it's so nice. I which I just saw an article uh, or an interview with her as well, where she was saying that of like not wanting, she doesn't want to watch that perfect package of somebody on television that doesn't have these flaws and have these other things that just make somebody that interesting kind of character. And the fact that a character like her, and I feel like so many people just assume that that's how she is in real life, these characters that she plays, it's sort of like ditzy, aloof, but to know that she is putting so much thought into all of those little things that she does to just make her such a well-rounded character. It's, it's amazing. Like, like true artist. That's really clean, really fresh. <laughs> <She's so funny. laughs> yeah. No, but it is really nice. I think once you've been able to like cement your own career, to have your show for so long, and then I don't want to say like take your foot off the gas pedal. It's not that, but I think there's something to being able to just kind of like pause and enjoy the stuff that's around you and not feel like you have to like go, go, go so constantly. And I want to do things. I definitely want to do other things, but I think I'm sure you feel the same way. Like the pandemic just changed us. I think fundamentally yes. where it's just like we went from working six, seven days a week for, for 10 years to like suddenly I was just sitting on my ass for two years. I loved it. You know, I was worried about the world <laughs> like everybody else was. But like, you know, I was just loved it. And I got to spend time with my cats. I got to spend time with friends, family. It was yeah. it was it was like. You know, aside from the existential dread that we're all experiencing, I was like, man, this is this is all, you know, I don't know. I think it changed me. I was thinking I need more of that in my life. No, I agree to that a, a big time. I think it also like puts in perspective when you've been able to have a job in television for so long, like that's the accomplishment. Like what a pat on the back. Like I did that. Not a lot of people get to have a show for that long. And like, I've been able to have a job in television for such a long time. Like how fucking lucky are we to have been able to do that to now be able to just like kind of enjoy the things that come with that and not have to be in the rat race onto the next. Very lucky. I think so too. It's, I think so too. I don't know. Like, I, you know, it's just a thing where you just like, just try and be grateful. I'll do the show as long as they want me to. If True's like, look, we want you to do five more seasons, I'll do five. I'll, we'll segue right into that Betty White show where they were all <laughs> off the rocket. Like, I'll, I'll go right into that. Like, I don't ever want to stop doing it. So, like, I, I don't know. I just have immense gratitude and stuff like that, which, um, which I think when people lose that is when, you, when they want to leave shows and stuff like that. Um, okay, so that being said, sitting in that gratitude, all the great things are there. But you did mention there are some other things that you want to do. What are some of those, uh, some scratches that you want to itch? 
Well, so I, itches I'm a, you want to scratch? Did I oh, say that? Oh, plenty backwards? of itches. Yeah, no, I got it. <laughs> I'm so itchy. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. What a quote. <laughs> um, look, I love comic books and stuff like that. I, I, I really want to, I would really love, to, like, DC Comics has always been my thing. I love those characters so much. So I want to do something in that space before it's all over, whether it be a comic book, whether it be an animated show, whether it be something like, I just want to get paid to write Superman. I don't know. I've always loved him. So there's that. Then I've always loved horror. Like I'm a classic, like I just check boxes of like, you know, like a Gen X geek. Like I want to do, like, I love horror. So it's like, I want to do something in the horror. So I got to do a horror movie and it was so much fun. Uh, What kind of horror are we talking? Like what is your sweet spot in the horror genre? Like I said, man, I, my decade of growth was the 80s. I like slasher, like corny, like just blood spurting everywhere and like not even realistic. Who cares? Like just sort of fun horror. I don't think I could do like you get like Mike Flanagan, the guy who does um, he did like Oculus and he did Midnight Mass and all these great shows for Netflix. Now Amazon. I can't do what he does because it's like that's a real cerebral, moody atmospheric horror but like if you need like a fun like slasher ghost thing i'm like i'll i'll do that i would love to do that i just more version of shit that you don't have to think about you know what i'm saying like yeah yeah superman like just the brightest friendliest guy in the world don't think too much about it no i i hear you on that there's something i don't want to say like formulaic about it but just that kind of like fun layout you know what you're getting you're right you can zone out and just go along for the ride and enjoy that whole thing um dude you got to be in picard what oh my god how great is that how great what? I'm to fix this camera for you that's okay so i'm not a trekkie but picard is incredible oh my god what a great show what was your experience like working on that well, it was nuts because, all right, so it's actually an interesting story behind that that, that I like, like to tell. Like, so, the, so the guy who, who show runs Picard is a good buddy of mine, my buddy Terry. He created the TV show 12 Monkeys, and he ran MacGyver. Now he's on Picard. Now he's on some other things. And he's a fan of Jokers. That's how we met. He, when 12 Monkeys premiered, I went to the premiere party in L.A., we, we hit it off really well, became really good friends. So he put me in 12 Monkeys as this character named Dale. It's a small scene, and I'm on a, a date. I'm on a first date with someone. I had this ugly-ass tie, and then 12 Monkeys ended. Then when he started MacGyver, he's like, hey, um, would you be interested in flying down to Atlanta to shoot Dale in, in MacGyver? So great, let's do it. So now I have a scene where MacGyver's on a date and sitting at the next table, I'm wearing the same tie. I have the tie somewhere right over here. Um, and Dale's there, and Dale gives MacGyver something that allows him to, like, you know how MacGyver makes a paperclip and some shit. Um, now we're like, well, this is really exciting because now Dale's been in two shows. And if you, two shows across two different networks. And if you follow the storyline from the first, the, like, from the first date to the second date, there's actually, like, a loose story. So now he's like, now I'm sure running Picard. How do we get Dale into Picard? So he writes Dale into it. And I'm like, I'm like, this is great. I'm like, so now there's a storyline. Now this story, Dale's story continues into Picard. This is your own spinoff. We call it the Dale-verse. And then I put oh. Dale on the Practical Jokers uh, in a scene. So now Dale's been in four shows across four different networks. Dale's got that tag card, baby. He's going to get it. So now, all right, but Terry doesn't tell me that he's putting me in a serious scene. I thought... He was going to put me, like, I, I thought, you know, it's me. It's like, I, you're not going to put me in a serious scene. But sure enough, he throws me in a scene with Patrick Stewart, and it's a serious scene. I was like, 
Terry, I'm going to ruin this. I'm going to ruin this scene. You don't understand. You can't do this. And he's like, no, trust me. It'll be great. Great. And, and it's COVID. So like now we have to be in an actor's holding pen. And it's this really weird thing where it's like they take blue tape and they put it on the floor and they put the actors in this and they're like, you can't leave. And nobody can come in that it's COVID. So I'm in this box with Patrick Stewart for six hours. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like, what would you do? Like, what do you do in that situation? What's like, how do you spark up a conversation with Patrick Stewart? Uh, pre- it's, it turns out pretty easily because he's he likes telling stories of the old days, which is like unbelievable. Like you just unbelievable. He's telling stories about acting on the stage in, in London and stuff like that. And of course, he had never heard of Impractical Jokers like ever, which is crazy because when we pitched Impractical Jokers in the original pitch, we were driving around to these stupid bits in a talking van. And we wanted uh, Patrick Stewart to voice the van and the van hated us. And uh, the van, uh, we had, he was narrating. So when true, when we, when true brought the show, the first thing they got rid of is just like, we're not, we're not reaching out to Patrick Stewart. All right, right, no problem. Then we did the Impractical Jokers movie and we, we wrote a part for Patrick Stewart in it. And then once again, they actually, this time they reached out and his people just flat out said no. When I talked to Patrick Stewart, I was like, I told him everything I just told you. And he was like, I have never heard of that. I goes, he goes, I might've done it if they had told me. He goes, I promise they didn't tell me. So there was a little bit of back and forth, but mainly it was just me in awe and like trying not to talk too much because I'm like, I don't want to, I don't know if he's got a process. You know what I mean? I, I don't know anything. I know nothing. What do I know? I'm an idiot. So it was crazy though, man. It was crazy. And then, and then, and then when I saw the episode, I was like, man, I look fat. Uh, so that was my, that was my takeaway from being in an, in a scene, uh, being like Picard's scene partner was that I look fat. So, you know. Oh my God. Literally anytime I see myself on television, I'm like, do my arms look thin? Where are my arms at? Do they look all right? That's like my, that's my big hang up is whether or not my arms look thin. So I I hear you. I, I I can tell you they do. If you wear a large sweatshirt, no one can really tell the difference. So it's fine. It's fine. Sir Patrick Stewart, though, man, what an absolute yeah, yeah. legend. That is so cool. Not that only that crazy. you got to work with him on camera, but just to like get to spend that time off camera with him to like shoot the shit. It was great. And I stepped on one of his lines in the scene and I was like, oh, and, and oh, and the director of the episode was Leia Thompson who I still have a crush on from Back to the Future. So like when I went, so now I'm getting directed by Lorraine McFly, like I said, like I live on Staten Island. We don't have these experiences here. So it was like, it was pretty out there. It was great. Oh my gosh. That's really like the who's who because her daughter, Zoe Deutsch, I'm a massive fan of hers. I mean, damn, that girl's career is just on the up and ups with every little thing she does. She's, she's special. Um, you must obviously follow Patrick Stewart on Instagram. He's one of like the best Instagram followers. Just him in his lab. So wholesome. Yeah, it's him being super fun and stuff like that. Yeah, he came across to me exactly like he comes off on on that that feed. The NBA season is underway and it's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. There's so many different things you guys can rattle off here on this app. It's amazing. FanDuel has all of your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. You can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payoff with a same game parlay. Plus, with live betting, you'll get updated odds on games that have already started. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. 
So download FanDuel today and use the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Disclaimer, 21 in select states. First online, real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467369 for New York. The TN Red Line, 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee, 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Um, okay, so going back to like when you guys started, because you guys really broke out on like that YouTube, MySpace, like really taking over what those social platforms were to get out there, be seen, and get a television show from that. But looking at the way that that has all changed over the course of the past, God, however many years, um, do you have any advice for people that are trying to be seen on all these multiple platforms and how to make that work? Because you guys did it, but it's obviously changed so much since then. I don't even know how to work half that crap anymore. Like, I'm like, I, the, I, I'm like, does that um, freak you out? Not being able to work those things? I, I think my life is better because I can't work those things. I think it's like they're not on my radar, so I don't worry about it. Uh, my advice to anybody would be just and and I think the value of consistency is underrated. I think it, it comes down to consistency. When I was in that version of the game, like you have to you have to give people a reason to come back. So whatever that is, like as long as you're constantly doing it and constantly giving people a reason to come back. I would say that's it. I think a lot of people start. I'm going to start a YouTube channel and they do like three videos and then like a week. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it's It's a lot of work. I think people don't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it just comes down consistently and outlasting people like just never stop. If you never stop, like you've already kind of won in a way. But we like when we when we pitched Practical Jokers, our agents told us and I was 30 when we were pitching jokers and my agent said to me uh us the four of us you guys are too old to be on tv don't try to sell the show for yourself like just make it for teenagers and you know that's our agent telling us that we were too old you know and if we listened to him you know we wouldn't be in the place where we are today it was we just kept our head down and, and and kept going and it's just hard work and consistency i think that's there's really no shortcuts around around that i think It's really crazy when you think of some of the advice that you get along the way. And I know I've definitely fallen to the trap, you know, along the way through my career. You assume that your agent knows best or this person knows best. But being able to like be selective about what advice you're actually going to take in and what you're going to apply to your work, um, I think is a big one, too, because not everyone sees the picture the same way that you do. Yeah. And I've I've gotten bad advice and, and, and acted on bad advice and regretted it. They're so good at making you feel like you're lucky to be there. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like that is the power that I guess the people in the industry have over over uh, people like us, because they're like, there's this version of it where it's just like, hey, if you don't want to do it the way we want to do it, you know, what are you going to do? You Someone know? else then, is going to do it. 
They're not wrong. Uh, but at the same time, it's just like that you've got to find your own value. And they still do that to us. Like we still hear that all the time. Like now it's like now the refrain that we hear actually not since discovery took over Warner brothers. It hasn't really been this as much, but the refrain was, well, we already have 300 episodes. So what do we need more from you? So you're lucky to still be making, and it's like, come on, man. Like when, at what point does the respect, like where does it come in? You just got to laugh and be like, it is what it is, man. You can't get, you can't get caught down by it. It's going to follow you hard. It's all the cliches is all I can give anybody yeah. for advice. Yeah. Trust in yourself. Keep your head down. Work hard. That sort of thing. Consistency is key. Definitely. Um, okay. So you've been working for some time, busy. Your life has changed to a degree, but still you're on Staten Island. You try to keep things as simple as possible. What's the bougiest thing that you do now? Now, if I fly, I will fly business class, but that's because I tour so much. If you're taking five flights in a, in a weekend, like I just want it to be as easy. And there's, and, and most of those are show expenses anyway. So it's not that big of a deal, but uh, bougie. You get like a, a skin regime. You got like some good eye creams. What's going on over there? You buy some nice boots, a big car. <laughs> Look, I have a 2018 Jeep Wrangler that I only have because I had a 2016 that they blew up on the show. They lined it with dynamite and fired a tank out and blew it up. So I needed a new car. Um, but I'll, yeah, so there's that. I always wanted to buy a DeLorean because uh, I grew up like, so, so I think I might buy a DeLorean, but even that's only like 40 grand. It's not like, out of, you know what I mean? It's not like out of control. Um, everything I'm wearing, I've had at least five years. I don't, I don't really, I think I just. So you're like a big saver then. You save all your money. Yeah, but I don't think of it as like saving. I just think of it as like, I don't really have, I like, I'm, you know what I say all the time? I'm Amazon rich. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'll go on Amazon <laughs> and it's like, if I want something, I'll just order it and get it here the next day. It's $23, $24, and that's fine. I don't even think about that. That's nice. Uh, but in terms of big purchases, like, you know, I don't really have – I wish. I want an answer. I I, I want this. I, You know, I have a 75-inch television, but who doesn't? <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I don't really know. I'm looking around. I'm like, what's what's the thing that I got? As I'm asking that question, too, I'm like, what do I have that's bougie? Like, I don't know. I guess I go get, like, facials done. Does that count? But I think lots of people do that. But everybody Everyone does, does that. that. Yeah. I don't know. What the heck? I really want to come up with an answer for you on this. Is there like a stoop, not stupid, but like a sort of like a frivolous purchase of something that maybe you wouldn't have got before? Like if it was like a collector's item thing or, I mean, the DeLorean obviously falls in that category, but you've not pulled the trigger on that. You're, you're about to. Where do you acquire a DeLorean? Where, how do you get this? Oh, you, there's um, there's dealership like there's DMC, there's dealership in Texas that sells like refurbished ones and stuff like that, and get it all all up to you. Um, but you could just, you know, I guess anywhere. You just it's the age of the internet. If and when I buy it, the DeLorean will be the big, the big, the big purchase that I've made. I I really don't like feel like I'm trying to find something for you. It's all right. We can marinate on it. Maybe something else will come to mind. Maybe something will come back. Yeah, maybe. Um, okay, so you were recently just announced as a Friends of Firefighters Person of the Year. What does that What does that mean to you to have that honor? I mean, you you were a firefighter uh, in New York for eight years, and now to have this honor. Uh, yeah, a little under eight years. It, it it was it was fairly huge to me because I I one I didn't think I deserved it. I was like, guys, like the stuff that I've done for you guys is I don't think worthy of it. But whatever, uh, I'll take it. I I. Man, you know, I love the fire department so much, and it was such a big part of my, like, my 20s were spent 
getting ready to go into the fire department. It's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a firefighter. Then I got into my fire department and I loved it. Loved my house. Loved the guys. I still talk to them all the time. Like they're very, very close. And, um, but when I left the department, it was hard. It was a hit to my identity because it's just who I wanted to be. And, and being on TV wasn't what I wanted to do. So it was a big switch. Um, like my struggle after I left the department was always to still be part of the department in some way. So the way that I found that I was able to do that, besides spoiling the guy in my firehouse, I will send stuff to the firehouse. Like they'll just like a hockey table will just show up for them because I, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Like I love them. So I try and do that. But, um, but more than, so when I started doing the charity stuff with the, through the fire department, it was like, well, this is a great way to stay connected to them and one that benefits other people. So it's like, it's a home run. So to get the award was really like, more than anything, it was like, oh, I, like I've been successful in maintaining that tie. And that's kind of how I, how I saw it. So it was very meaningful for that. And the Friends of Firefighter, I mean, the organization is great. They're just there for firefighters, like in, in anything they kind of need. It rose out of 9-11 and stuff like that. So uh, it was, it was, it was, it was a validation of like what I wanted, which was just to still be part of the fire department. So it was great. Talk to me a little bit about what that identity crisis moment was like. You grew up wanting to be a firefighter. You were in there doing that. Now you have this massive opportunity to go create the show with your best friends. What was that kind of pull between those two? The first, because the first season and a half of Jokers, I was still making the show. I was still on the fire department. I would go to set and I'd shoot from like nine to five and get to the firehouse by six, work an overnight at the firehouse, then go back to set the next morning, shoot, then go back to the firehouse, work another overnight and then go back to, so like there were times where I worked like, yeah, crazy. But the guys in the firehouse were very supportive of me. If I needed a shift off, somebody would cover it with no question and stuff like that. (laughs) I'll tell you what really happened. Then season two came along and they computerized the FDNY. So when you clocked in, it was no longer like just write a name in a book. It was like, now everything's in the computer and the city could see who's working. And they started noticing like, Hey man, like how come this guy, like he owes like 15 tours to people. He owes 15 shifts to people. It's like, and the guidebook says you can only owe one tour for a month. So like they started getting wise to, to it. Uh, I took four years. So then I took a leave of absence and I pushed it as long as I, as I could at the end of season five, our contract with true was up and that coincided with my, uh, with my leave of absence being up. So I was like, great, I'll just go back. And then true came back and was like, well, we want to sign you for three more seasons. I couldn't get any more leave of absence with the fire department. So that was it. It was the choice. And I went to true and I said, Hey, if I left the show, what would happen? And they said, if you leave the show, we'll cancel the show. And that was that. What could I do? You know, I was getting closer to 40. Like now I go to the firehouse and they're all in their like early twenties. You know what I mean? They don't need me. You know what I mean? Like, like, trust me, if this, you could pick someone to come into a fire to help you. It's not this guy. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, the kids that yeah. are doing it. So, yeah. it, but it was tough, man. And there was a moment on the show. Um, they shot a punishment for me where uh, I was on stage and uh, there, there was, a, it was a, a play, a musical about my life. And I didn't know anything. They just threw me out on stage. And Alex Brightman, who's, uh, he's playing Beetlejuice on Broadway right now, narrated this song of my life about how I'm useless now and how I used to help people. But now I'm just a fat piece of shit who like makes, so, you know, this is comedy thing. And the curtain opened 
And it was all the guys from my firehouse. The, the, the other three guys got them to come to be in the audience. They didn't know that after I was shooting that day, I was going to the firehouse to tell them that I was retiring. So when the curtain opens on the show, they left it in the edit. You see me do this move where I look away and it looked like I was laughing, but I started crying. Like I started tearing up because all, all my guys were there and it just hit me. And the, like, and the cameras are rolling. So what do you, you can't explain that. So I just kind of sucked it up and got through it. But it was, that was real. And then after that, I just went out drinking with the guys. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> As one does. Yeah. As one does. Yeah. It was, it was hard. It was really hard. I, I felt like I was good at the fire department. I liked it. I was useful. And now I'm just going to go do this bullshit. But, you know. You still participate, though. Person of the year. That's that's really a cool accomplishment. Yeah, thank you. Um, I know that you've been very open talking about um, your your struggles with depression and whatnot. And I was reading an article earlier um, about how you would also talk about this stuff when you were at the fire department. Did you did some of that like openness of your conversations about depression and mental health and whatnot? Did some of that start with those guys in the firehouse or was it prior to that? It was prior to that. I think because I, uh, I got a, a friend of mine named uh, Scott Mosier and he's a great, great guy. He produced uh, the movie clerks and clerks. So he did a lot of early Kevin Smith movies and he just directed that animated Grinch movie that came out. He's been like a mentor to me my entire life. And like when I was going through things in my twenties, he was so open and supportive of me that he kind of destigmatized it for me. So I was always very free and open talking about it. My friend Brian Johnson and stuff like that was going through similar things. So it never, it was never for me anything that was something that had to be hidden. And then when I got to the fire department, you know, the guys in the house, look, it's two things. It's like the way we express love to each other is by calling each other an asshole. Like that's just what you do. If you walk in the firehouse and within five minutes, nobody's called you an asshole. That means they don't like you. No, that's my favorite kind of affection, actually. I love that. Yeah, it's the best. It's, it's the, I don't even know how to operate out of that paradigm, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like sincerity kind of, you know. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, get out of here. Oh, yeah, God. Like, oh, no, God, too much. What's the matter too with much. you? Look at this guy. Gross. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but the guys, have, you look, it's a tough job and you see a lot of crazy shit. So I didn't find there was that thing of guys not wanting to. Like if something was real, there was 50 guys in a firehouse. And you liked 48 of them and they were all open. And, and yeah, it's a very supportive environment. It's couched in you're, you're an asshole piece of shit, but like, it's, it's really like very supportive. And, you know, I see like, I don't want to bring this down, but like you would go to a car accident and there'd be a hurt kid or something like that. Or, you know, that that's hard, especially like, you know, you go back to the firehouse and there's like guys who are like, look, like it's okay to talk about this and stuff like that. And then, plus I got on, I got on after 9-11, I got into 05. And the department was still reeling. I mean, reeling from that. Uh, and I think that everybody understood that, that, you know, talking about it was a good way to go. So it wasn't like how people like assign toxic masculinity. Like I never really encountered that there. Uh, so anyway, that treat that I've always been, that's, it's, it's just the people around me have always made me open about it. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, we have tons of conversations about mental health, depression, addictions, anxieties, all those things. Uh, I think that it's such a great conversation to have. We do it here on the show. I mean, whether it's with an athlete, a pro wrestler, an actor, musician, whatever it may be, but 
uh, nobody is safe from that. And I think us talking about it definitely helps to break that stigma even further. Um, okay, so what I would like to end this conversation on is um, if you could just run me through when you got attacked by a shark, that would be great. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, yeah, I almost got attacked by a shark. You talking about the shark week thing? Yeah. Yeah, so it's so funny, man. They, they, uh, first of all, we so we shot a special for Shark Week this year, uh, and it was a blast. It was so much fun. And they're like, does anybody want to do a, a dive to the bottom of the seabed? But I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll definitely do it. So I go to the local Staten Island YMCA, and I get my, my certification. You know, I've never been in, the, in the, the ocean. It's all like splashing around in the pool and stuff like that. Like they did in the first season of White Lotus, when they're doing, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. that. Uh, to get that certification. And they're like, all right, well, how deep is the dive? Ah, 20 feet. Okay, great. You know, get the certification, fly out there. We get, you know, we get it. And they're like, okay. And then on day three, we're going to go down to the uh, 60 foot dive to the wreck of the, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, what do you mean 60 feet? And they're like, yeah, no, the wrecks, that's where the sharks are. So you got to go down 60 feet. And now I, because like I said, I'm a firefighter. Like I know what 60 feet is. Like it's a six story, seven story building. So it's like in my mind, I'm like, nobody told me that, but like, I can't be the guy that's like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm like, I got to do it. So there I go. I get down, I get in the water, pure panic because like, they're like, hold on the anchor rope and just, you know, you know, slowly go down. And I look down, it's like, there's the wreck. 60 feet down with sharks circling it and the water's filling the wetsuit and i'm like oh my god i'm like i gotta get out of water there's fucking water and i'm like brian calm down calm down take a breath go down get down there it is amazing it's great these eight foot reef sharks are swimming around and dr craig who's the 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 shark week doctor great great guy says look when you're down there keep your keep your arms in because if they see your hands going they'll think it's a fish They'll come and they'll, they'll, they'll bite it just to taste it, right? Now, mind you, the year before, the jackass guys do a special, and Poopsie almost got his hand bitten off by a shark. It's the same crew every year, so they're telling me the story over and over again. And, and you're like, well, this is fucking, I, you guys told me this wouldn't happen, but it just happened. And they're like, yeah, but <laughs> Poopsie's an idiot. He went into bloody water and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know Poopsie, but it sounds like you told them the same shit you're telling me. Like, I'm sure Poopsie felt safe. Like now I'm down there, but like we're shooting a comedy that I had a whole claymation shark thing and I had to point at the thing and you're at the one, you're at the bottom of the ocean. So you're all, you're all loving it. So I just start like an idiot waving, you know, my hand at the camera and just as advertisers, six foot sharks walking and it sees me and its fins drop down into like an attack position and it dives in my hand and Dr. Craig, and you see it going, it's on camera, it aired. He's going, Dr. Craig just puts his hand on the shark's nose and shoves it away. And the shark just goes. Oh and they didn't even tell me about it, like, till I was up. Like, and then I get off the boat and they're like, did you see that shark almost bite your hand off? And I'm like, what? No. And they're like, yeah. And then I saw the footage and I'm like, I'm like, oh, man, maybe I got to stop doing Maybe I just got to stop saying yes to every single thing that comes my way. Like, maybe just start saying no every once in a while. Oh my God, that would have been a long 60 foot ascent back to the Oh water. my God. And then the blood's going and the sharks. Are, yeah, it would have been horrible. Even like with AEW, because like I'm trying to get involved with you guys. Like I'm trying to get over there and get involved. And they're like, and they're great. I mean, such a great crew over there. Um, and they're like, yeah, you got to go to like training just to even get in the ring because like, and I'm, I'm just like, ah, put me through a table. I don't care. And they're like, 
yeah, all right. They're like, just calm down. Just talk, you know what I mean? So I think maybe I got to learn. I got to learn to like, just look out for myself a little bit. Yeah, it's the little baby steps. The other day I was trying to show John how I would um, execute a kick in the ring. And he's like, get out of here. You're not like, you don't know what you're doing. But sometimes, we, you know, you get a little big for the boots. You're like, I can do this. No problem. They make it no, 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 look you cannot. so doable. They're so good at it. And like, like, you know what I mean? And I, I'm not trying to say like, like, I don't look at it like I can do that. But I do look at it like, oh, I want to do that. And that yes, overrides yeah. common sense. You know, you're, then you're like, well, you're talking <laughs> to athletes who train all the time at doing it and they'll have experience and perfect all this stuff. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? You want to come in and like manage somebody or you want to like, what, what would your like ideal thing be? Uh, my ideal thing. And, and I don't think they'll let me do it is I just want to be a heel. Like I want to come in and just like scream at the audience and tell them they suck, but they won't let us, they won't, they won't let me be a heel. I don't think <laughs> I did, like anything. I just want to be part of it. Yeah. I just want to be like, I just love it so much. So to be in the ring, looking out of the crowd from that perspective and being a part of it, I don't know, man. I want to be involved in like silly story, like a silly story. Like, I don't think anything serious would, would call for me in it. Maybe we can get you in like the Jericho Appreciation Society and get people part, of the, the, part of the entertainers. <laughs> yeah, sports <laughs> entertainment. I love it. The, yeah. But you look at like what the Jackass guys did. I keep saying, and I love Jack. I'm a huge fan. But what they did at WrestleMania, you're like, it was great. It was fun. They all had, they all had their spots. They all had their moments. You know what I mean? Sami Zayn came out looking like a million bucks. Totally. No, that's like a great example of something that like, I don't want to say like the bar was like low on that, but I think they were like, I don't know what we're going to get. But like, man, it worked out beautifully. It was, they had like a good amount of time. They got to tell the great story. Yeah. We man got involved. Like, oh, yeah, when he was, body really slammed, you're great. like, I know. This is so unbelievable. <laughs> and I just want to be a part of that. You know what I mean? I just want to be a part of it somehow um, because I love it so much. So I think that's, that's what it is. I'll do anything. I'll do anything they want me to do, really. Well, good. I look forward to us being able to be um, co-workers. To some I degree. love it. That we'll would have be to amazing. make that happen. Yeah, I Hell agree. yeah. Well, Brian, thank you so much for drunkenly agreeing to doing this podcast and then following through on actually doing it. I, I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. No, I'm a fan. I got to tell you, um, before we go, I, I do want to say, and I've said this to you before, but I, I just want everybody listening to this to know um, at the WWE shows, at, you know, when I started seeing it at AEW, like it's it's not always like comfortable back there to be a guest because you don't want to get in anybody's way. You don't know who knows you, who doesn't know you. You know, you wonder. You were always so warm and inviting and kind, like Thanks. notably, thank you every single time. Even if it was just in passing, like I felt like I belong there, and and I'm not just saying this. I'm like like you were a big part of that. Like you were just so nice every time. Thank which you. Which is why I was oh, like, I, I really just appreciate sure that. Thank you. you. No, which thank just makes you. me want you to come work at AEW even more, so we can continue to do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully, I'll see you soon. Yes, I'm sure you will. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Renee. Thank you to Brian Quinn for joining me. Um, I really. Cannot wait for him to get to do something in AEW. That would be fantastic. I really hope that that happens for all of us, for all of our sakes. I feel like the cool thing, like, obviously, like, wrestling is great and television shows are great, but it's like the people that you hang out with during that downtime is really what makes that stuff really special. So I feel like having uh, Brian Quinn around would just add to that. 
just add a little spiciness back there. I like it a lot. Um, well, guys, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. Um, and Practical Jokers will be back February 9th. So uh, set your DVRs, set your reminders, set all of those good things. And uh, I will see you guys next time on the next episode of The Session.